Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, Psalm 118, verses 14 through 24, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. I don't know how you feel about it, but any day that includes calling some kind of tech support, for me, is a bad day. It seems so overly complicated. There's usually a series of numbers one has to press to get where you want to be, to go through the maze of the automated system, only to wait on hold, listening to bad music for who knows how long. And then when you finally get to talk to, to someone, they probably will ask a series of questions that would likely make most of us feel stupid. It seems like an overly complicated system for something that is usually a pretty simple fix, like turn it off, turn it back on again. We very often make simple things complicated, like witnessing for Jesus. We make it into something complicated and scary that only super Christians can do. But we learn today from our gospel reading that being a witness for Christ is actually quite simple. The scene opens on the first Easter with the two ladies who love Jesus going to his tomb early after the Sabbath. We know from Luke 24 that they were bringing spices that they had prepared for Jesus' body. There was an earthquake that morning, perhaps while they were on their way. We don't know when it happened, but we do know that it was related to an angel rolling away the stone that blocked the tomb. And the guards that were there to prevent followers of Jesus from stealing the body were apparently so frightened that they fainted. A very much alive Jesus then probably just walked out of the tomb. Knowing Jesus, I wouldn't be surprised if he bent down and touched the guards, restoring them to consciousness, so that they got up and left, having now nothing to guard. Jesus then left as well though he couldn't have gone very far. Then the two Marys arrived to find the stone rolled away and an angel sitting on top and the tomb empty. Stop and take a breath. We have just done a quick review of the most singularly important event in all history. This wouldn't be a proper Easter sermon if we didn't take that in. No event has more transformed humanity and really the entire world than that. It's the great victory over sin and death that Christ won for us. The greatest battle ever fought was won on that first Easter. And not a single person was aware of it yet. And it's the awareness of this victory that is the focus of today's sermon. The two Marys received instructions from the angel and then shortly after received almost identical instructions from Jesus as recorded in Matthew 28, 5 through 10. The angel told them, do not be afraid. Jesus also said, do not be afraid. The angel told the ladies to go and tell the disciples. Jesus also told them, go and tell. The angel then said that Jesus was going to Galilee. Jesus said the same thing. 
Lastly, the angel said not only that Jesus was going to Galilee, but that they would see him there. And Jesus repeated that prediction. The most obvious question is, why the duplication? First, I think it was necessary because no one is really prepared to see an angel and then to meet someone who was formerly dead. None of us under those circumstances would have the mental bandwidth to make sense of it all, let alone remember everything. Second, seeing an angel tell the story and seeing the empty tomb are both remarkable. But seeing Jesus alive and talking to him was a whole new level of revelation. And verse 9 says that they took hold of his feet. He wasn't a ghost or a vision. He was physically raised from the dead. The Bible hints that his resurrected body was not quite like the old. It says in John 20, verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So it appears that Jesus could walk through walls, which meant he could have walked right out through the stone without it being rolled away. But he may have waited for the angel to roll the stone away, and besides, the stone needed to be moved so that everyone could see that the tomb was empty. I also think the duplication wasn't just for their sakes, but for ours as well. The duplication from the words of the angel to the words of Jesus give us the basic pattern for being Christ's witness. The angel told the ladies, Come, see. All witnessing starts with seeing. A witness in a court case is one who tells what they saw and heard. Someone who saw nothing could not be a witness. In addition to seeing the empty tomb, the ladies also saw Jesus himself and felt his feet, so they knew that he was physically raised from the dead. But seeing alone does not make one a witness. The Marys had a story to tell, and they must tell it. The next instruction was to go tell from both the angel and Jesus. They were to tell the disciples specifically. Neither the angel nor Jesus told them to tell everyone you meet. They didn't say, go and proclaim the resurrection in the temple. No, all they had to do was tell what they saw to those with whom they were very close who would believe them. But even that required courage. No one wants to appear foolish or naive in front of friends or family. So the women told the disciples what they had seen, and then what happened? The disciples came and saw for themselves. Matthew 28, 17 says of the disciples that when they saw him, they worshipped him. Do you see what has happened? The pattern has started over. The women saw and then told the disciples. Now the disciples have seen, and we know from the book of Acts that they boldly went out and told everyone who would listen. This is the same simple pattern for being a witness for Christ that we must follow. Come, see, go, tell. That's the essence of witnessing and our model to follow. Beyond that, there are three specific aspects 
that make for good witnessing. Tell what you know, do not be afraid, and worship as you go. In order to tell what you know, you have to have your facts straight. In other words, be a witness to what you know is true. There is some additional background that reinforces the testimony of the Marys. We need to first recognize that in that society, a woman's, a woman's testimony had no legal weight. This does at least explain one aspect of the varying resurrection stories. In 1 Corinthians 15:5, it never mentions Jesus appearing first to the women, likely because their testimony wasn't seen as valid in the first century. That's not to say Paul didn't value their testimony, especially as it had been backed up by so many others, but because when trying to prove to others the fact of Jesus' resurrection, Paul was trying to put forward his best evidence, and including women in that might actually hurt his argument with his first century audience. Of course, Matthew included the story of the women and their first encounter with Jesus, but he also included another key fact. In Matthew 27, 61, he records that the women watched Joseph lay the body in the tomb and roll the stone in front. That's important because it is most likely that there were many tombs in that area, and so they had to know which one contained Jesus. The likelihood of error was further diminished by the fact that the Jews had the stones sealed. It was probably the only sealed tomb there, which made it very easy to distinguish. If you read Mark's account, the angel told the women to tell the disciples, but Mark 16.8 says, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This relates to both the angel and Jesus telling the women, do not be afraid, as we read in today's reading. Now we know that they did tell the disciples, so Mark is likely referring to the women not telling anyone but the disciples, rather than literally telling no one. Or it may mean that they delayed in even telling the disciples, but fear can do that. It can stop a person from moving forward, immobilizing them. That is what happened to the guards when they saw the angel. That's the most extreme example of succumbing to fear. This also applies to us as witnesses. Fear is probably the number one thing preventing us from being effective witnesses for Christ. We have to decide if we are going to be like the guards who were frozen in fear, or be like the women who told their friends. I'm not even expecting anyone here to be like Peter and boldly proclaim the gospel to thousands. The most effective witnessing involves people we already know, where there is trust and a continuing relationship. This is important because successful witnessing rarely happens in a single conversation. How do we overcome fear? Simply put, the motivation has to outweigh the fear. Like a mother tackling a mountain lion to protect her child, our love of God and for others must be stronger than our fear. That sounds like a no-brainer. Of course it is. But we still hesitate. I think it also helps to remind ourselves that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit will guide our tongue. 
That doesn't mean that every attempt to witness will go exactly as we would like it to. But we can trust that we won't be in it alone. It also helps to be confident in what we witness too. It's just like I said a minute ago, tell what you know. Having confidence in the work of Christ in your life builds self-assurance for witnessing. Lastly, I think we struggle with fear of witnessing because we expect too much. We want people to immediately accept Christ into their hearts. But more often than not, it is an ongoing conversation where the truth that is spoken is an extension of the trust in the relationship. When we relax our expectations, our fear subsides. The one last aspect that supports the come see, go tell essence of witnessing is to worship as you go. Most people probably don't see worship as being related to witnessing, but it is. When the two Marys saw Jesus, they worshiped him. Same for the disciples. They didn't do so because they got an invite to a worship service. They didn't do so because they heard their favorite hymn playing. No, they did so because it was spontaneous worship at the feet of their Lord and that worship was already in their hearts. It just needed an opportunity to be expressed. When we live like that, witnessing is not far behind. Witnessing is an extension of worship. Witnessing is an extension of worship. If you don't worship well, you won't witness well. If worship is always at the tip of your tongue, then witnessing isn't far behind. As we prepare to receive communion on this Easter morning, we are reminded that we serve a risen Lord. We don't receive the flesh and blood of someone who died and stayed dead. And in eating this meal, we are mysteriously sharing in that life. That makes us an Easter people. This meal is simple. Bread and juice. Witnessing is simple. Come, see, go, tell. That is our model. To do so well, tell what you know, overcome fear, and worship as you go. The reason to emphasize witnessing on Easter Sunday is that in this one instance, Jesus is not our role model. He died for our sins, so we don't have to. That means on Easter morning, our role model is the women. Their essential role was to be the very first witnesses to the fact that on that day, the most significant battle in all history had been won. They couldn't keep this good news to themselves. And if we love God and others, neither can we. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.